0: Good morning. good morning. How are we doing? Let me just one second. That's going to be a problem, but we'll figure it out. Um, you guys doing good? you guys excited to be in the presence of God? It's good to be with him. There's a lot of places where he's not. It's good to be in a place where he's welcome. If you're new here, can you by any chance just slip a hand? We want to welcome you. Welcome. Thank you guys. So good to have you all your first time this morning. Uh, it, is, it, is a, it is a privilege to have you guys here. We are really grateful that you've chosen to spend this time with us. Um, we hope you enjoy our community. We hope you enjoy the Lord in our community. Um, I just have one announcement. Uh, that, that seven day fast, um, as, as a leadership team, our church, um, our, our team has decided during the week of that fast to offer um, a supplemental uh, time while we are fasting. Um, and so that week, August 22nd through the 28th, we are going to be opening up a prayer room. And this prayer room is going to be a come and go free space with the primary goal to connect with the presence of God. Right, as we are, as as as. A body, we are we are making the decision and the um, let's say it this way that we are prioritizing him in this time with our time, and so I just encourage you guys that we are going to be um, releasing a lot more information about that in the coming weeks as we head to up up you know, to that time, um, but I just encourage you to, to, to begin to pray about how you uh, want to partner with the Lord in that time, how you want to sow a seed of your time in that space. Amen? Amen. Man, um, I don't get to do this often, so every single time I do, I'm like charged, I'm full of faith, and I'm really excited for what God wants to say and what God wants to do here. I hope you are as well... Um, I know that God's pleased with us. I know that God is pleased with this gathering of people. And I I tell you this, I have been a part of this church for over five years. I've been a leader here for just about under two and I've never been more excited for what God is going to do in our midst I've never been more filled with anticipation and expectation that the presence of God and the power of God wants to fill this house. God is looking for people that want to be a dwelling place. God is not looking for us to do things for him. He's looking to do things in us and through us. And I really believe, and I'm going to share more about this I really believe that just this is a season of, that we really just need to lean in to what he's saying, to what he's doing, and I, and I'm, and, and I believe that God is, is about to, to, to move on our church in a way that we have never seen before. Okay. I wanna start this morning uh, by sharing actually a, a dream that I had about two and a half months ago, and it's going somewhere, and it's intentional and purposeful, um, because ever since I have had this dream, um, it, it continues to come back to mind every single time we gather. And it has been confirmed among our leadership team and our eldership and those who oversee our leadership team that this is the season that we are in. And the word that we've heard is simplify and strengthen. And so this is the dream, all right? You ready? You ready? You ready? Cool, 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 cool. In this dream, I was, I was, I was over a river. I, I had an. It started with an aerial view of a river. And the Lord was standing in the center of the river. And as I locked eyes with the Lord, I came down over the river and my gaze shifted to the left where our church was planted on the bank of the river. Every last one of us were planted like oak trees, solid, firm in the ground. All of us had eyes steadily fixed on him. And in this dream, the first thing I saw um, was that we were filled with seeds. Now, how many of you guys have ever seen somebody get shot with a pellet gun? Okay, I grew up in that wild land called Florida <laughs> where when you are a kid, that's what you do. You shoot each other with pellet guns and it was madness, right? But, but like how many of you know, when you get shot, it like sticks inside of your skin. Sometimes in very uh, severe cases, it goes under your skin. And it becomes like a really, really tough procedure to get that out of there. Taking knives as eight years old. Yeah, anyways. (laughs) That's what the seeds looked like. Stuck underneath the surface of our skin. And what, what was unique about it was that every single one of us had seeds in different areas concentrated all over our bodies. And what, was, what, 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 was, what, what, what struck me second was that as we stared with eyes fixed on him, it was like our attention on him attracted a stream from the river that began to fill us from the bottom up. It was, like, um, it was like, how many of you guys have ever seen like, uh, like those fake surfing waves, you know what I mean, the, the people go on? It was like we were attracting a stream of grace from him with our attention fixed. All it took was us looking. And what began to happen was that as we were looking, branches began to sprout out of our arms, out of our shoulders, out of our legs, out of our hearts, And right, some of us, (laughs) this was really funny. Some of us were like, whoa, did you see that? And the person next was like, no, 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 look at him. The thing that gave me the most uh, joy about this dream was the look on our faces. There was an expectant joy, a fresh faith, excitement, excitement steadiness, zeal. And so as, we, as I've processed and as we've prayed as a team, I mean, the, the, the word that I heard there was simplify and strengthen. I went to Rach and our, our leadership team, and they're like, this is literally the, the thing in our heart right now. I believe that God is releasing prophetic worship in our church. God wants to restore Davidic worship that ministers first and foremost to his heart. I believe that God wants to release teaching gifts in our church. I believe that God is restoring the mantle of fatherhood among men in our church. He is restoring authority, right-placed authority over men in our church. And most importantly, I believe that God is releasing a corporate zeal over our church, that this season of our church will be marked by zeal for his house, for him. And I share this because it sets us up perfectly for where we're going today and for the next couple months, because as we've processed and prayed as a team, we have come to the place where we have agreed that his presence, fixing our eyes on him, will be, no matter what, the primary pursuit of this house. And I believe that in this season, of simplifying everything around connecting with the presence of God, he is going to give himself out towards us in a way that we could not imagine. So this simplifying and strengthening is not aimless. It's tactical. It's planned. It's about him. We will be teaching and preaching of nothing else. And so we're going to look through, this, through, through the, this text this morning because it is about a life connected to the presence of God. What I wanna teach on this morning is becoming people and becoming a people that are connected to the presence of God. And what we're going to do is we are going to trace the progressional expression of the presence of God Engaging with people throughout the Bible. We're going to see, and I pray by the grace of God, that you leave here convinced that God wants to dwell in you. I want you to leave here convinced that you are significant and you matter to God because you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. I want us to leave here convinced that that is not just a theological, churchy thing we say, but that that is the very glory of the new covenant. So we're going to be in the book of John, chapter 14, verses 15 through 21. The mission of God has always been connection with those that He loves. We're going to see that this morning. We're also going to see that that is where this is headed. How many know we are going somewhere as a culture, as a world? We we're going somewhere and the way that this story ends is with him seated on a throne in a city called Jerusalem where he will give life and light to all mankind his presence at the center this is how the text reads if if you're there i believe we have it up on the screen if you love me you will keep my commandments and i will ask the father And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. I believe God wants us to. to I believe God wants to awaken us to what He's put inside of us. Can we pray? Lord, we need you. We desperately need you to touch us, to fill us, to make us aware of your abiding presence in our hearts. Lord, I can't do that. No good song can do that. You are the one that gives life. You are the one that awakens. And so right now, we as your church, we ask you, Lord, would you awake? Would you hear our cry this morning? Would you awaken us in every area of our lives, God? We don't want to be dull. We don't want to be dead. We want to be alive to you. Help us this morning. Would you breathe on this word in Jesus' name? Amen. I believe that this text that we read this morning is one of the most pivotal texts in the entire Bible. And that is because Jesus here is teaching his disciples that he opens up the very life of God to them. And in order to understand the weight and the significance of what he's saying and doing here, we need to zoom out. We need to zoom out. How many of you know when you come upon upon a text, you don't just read it as it is, but you read the surrounding context that gives uh, information as to what's going on there. If we don't know who Jesus is, we don't know the importance of being connected to him and why that significantly shifts the course of history and our lives. And so we're going to trace this narrative that brings us to this moment and that will then open us up to the weight of what he's saying. And so we're going to to trace this theme and 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 the theme begins like this. The presence of God with people. This is how Genesis 2, 8 through 9 reads, right? And, and, and just, just, just to like let you know, there's going to be a lot of scripture here today um, because I want to give us an overarching like understanding of what's going on here. So just bear with me, okay? Genesis 2, 8 through 9, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, And there he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, if we skip past this text too fast, what we will see, or what we will not see, is what the author is trying to communicate to an ancient Near Eastern reader. And what the author is trying to connect for the ancient Near Eastern reader is a cosmic city where God and man meet. He's not just like planting strawberries here. This is a a place that God has set apart for God and man to dwell with one another. And... Often in church history, we've given way too much attention to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because of its correlation to Adam and Eve. But what we also see in this text is that there is another tree, and it's the tree of life. We need to understand this tree of life as the life-giving source that permeates everything in that garden. It is the manifest presence of God. And we need to see this because that's where God's heart begins connection. Before man was ever placed in that garden, God had a plan to be connected to him. And therefore, when Adam and Eve choose to go against the intentions of their creator, they are then removed from that garden. But what are they also removed from? The presence the life-giving source of the presence. But God still pursues humanity. Come on, how good is that? God's pursuing you this morning. He wants to be connected with us. This is his heart. Right? What does he say to Abraham? Go up from where you are to the land that I will show you. I'll be with you. To Moses, when Moses wants to make all of his excuses about how he sucks at public speaking, about how he's ill-equipped to speak on behalf of God to the people of Israel, what does God say to him? Who has made man's mouth? (laughs) Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and what does he say? I will be with your mouth. As the people of Israel went to move out of the land where they were held in slavery and captivity, what does God, what, what does the text say? Exodus 13, 21 through 22. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. And then you have the epic picture of Israel in the desert with the Lord, Numbers 9, 15 through 19. On the day the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of testimony. And that evening, it was over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire until morning. And so it always was. The cloud covered it by day in the appearance of fire by night. And whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, Israel went. And whenever the cloud descended, they stopped at the command of the Lord, the people of Israel set out and at the command of the Lord, they camped. As long as the cloud rested over that tabernacle, they remained in camp. Even when the cloud would continue for days, that's a word for somebody here, If the Lord hasn't said go, if he hasn't moved, you shouldn't either. God with his people has always been the indication that those people are his people. This is why Moses prays when God sends them out from the mountain, Lord How will the other nations distinguish us? If your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us. This presence that sat with the people of God was their everything. It defined their identity, their their joy, their protection. But what we see is that people have a problem. And I know none of us in this room have a problem because we are sanctified and holy in Jesus' name. But everyone else outside of this room has a problem. The problem that we see with Israel is that they actually don't want God. Right? What is the resounding theme throughout the book of Judges? Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. You have king after king, setting up, worshiping idols to other gods, false gods. And what, what happens? The presence of the Lord leaves Israel. In their own strength and by their own power, the people of Israel could not remain in fellowship with God's presence. And then this leads us into the second way in which the presence of God engages with people. The presence of God upon us. And the presence of God upon people is found, especially in the Old Testament, in the form of ceremonial anointing. And right to, to, to the naked eye, what is seen is that an individual, a part of the community, would take oil and bless the individual for a specific task. The anointing of God within the community of God, was for a specific function. And there were three primary functions that this anointing descended on individuals for. You guys ready for them? They were for prophets, they were for priests, and they were for kings. This anointing would descend on individuals, why? because there was a requirement to be an intermediary for the people of God in the presence of God. They had to be consecrated, set apart, holy, to stand in the gap between God's people and his presence. We see this in 1 Chronicles 16.22, don't touch my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. Exodus 8, the anointing, that epic scene where God tells Moses, take Aaron and anoint him as a priest unto me. 1 Samuel 16, where the Lord, through Samuel, anoints David. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. What we see in this phase of redemption history is that the same presence, that same presence that was in the tree, that was in the bush, that was in the staff, that was in the ark is now resting upon men. But how many of you know there was something wrong with these men? That although the presence of God would come and rest upon them, the presence of God needed to get in them. And that as great as these kings were, men after God's own heart, they still had moments where they are, I don't know, sleeping with another man's wife, killing him to cover it up. Although Solomon restores the temple of God, builds this immaculate temple, what do we see? The presence of God was not restored to that former glory. It took a holy intercessor. It took someone who could truly stand in the gap. It took someone with an indestructible life. That person is Jesus. And this is where it transitions into our third phase, marked by the fullness of God, the fullness of deity dwelling bodily in a man, the presence of God within people. Jesus, in his ministry, completes those three functions that we just spoke about. God is with him as is testified by his works. God is upon him by his ceremonial baptism in the Jordan River. And God is with him by virtue of his connection to his father. He's inside of him. Unless we see the immense value and worth of who Jesus is and what he carries, we will not respond to him correctly or receive what he has to give us. In other words, we begin to appreciate and worship this man when we realize that he is the only one that can put within us the life-giving waters of God's holy presence. And so when we come to our text today, we see that that's exactly what Jesus is doing. Look at verse 15 through 17. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Who's the first helper? Marisol, who's the first helper? He's the first helper. Sorry, I didn't mean to put you up. (laughs) She's like, no! (laughs) Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, he promises another one just like himself. Except this helper never leaves. He will be with us forever. Forever doesn't stop when we die and go to heaven. That's why heaven's here now. He does not promise them an exterior gift, but an interior reality of life. Continue to verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. There you see again the pursuit of God for mankind. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. And then these glorious words, because I live, you also will live. I want us to see the reversal of the garden here. There was a removal from a tree that gave life to all things. And now this man, with the presence of God with him, upon him, and in him, will now go to another tree on Calvary. And this tree, though in the form of Roman crucifixion and humiliation, will be a place that life is given to all people. Because he lives, we live. Jesus is restoring what was lost to you and I. In other words, and and, and this is the other thing I want us to see, the correlation between our life and his life. If he doesn't live, we don't have life. In other words, there is no other way. He is the life. You can have religion. You can have good vibes. You can have the tingles. But if you want life, you got to go through him. If you want life, he needs to be in you. There's a lot of counterfeits out there today. In that day, verse 20, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. In that day, when we are alive in him with the presence of God in us, Jesus tells us that there are two simple realities that will be made known. The first is that we are united to him, that his life is our life. And the second is that his manifest presence, his nearness will be with those who obey him. Because those who obey him love him. In other words, going back to understanding who he is. In other words, those who are united to this man have been brought in to the holiest of places. The center of God's very life, the center of his fellowship. And in that place, God manifests himself. Because he is in us, that same presence that was in the tree, that same presence that was in the bush, that same presence that made Isaiah fall down on his face in fear that he was going to die, that same presence that killed Uzzah because he touched the ark improperly, that same presence, that same purity, that same power, that same holiness lives within you. We need to come alive to him in us. This is quite literally the hope And glory of the New Testament, Christ in us, the hope of glory. This is why Jesus says in John 17, 3, this is eternal life. That they know you. He's praying, so he's talking to his father. That they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. A.W. Tozer once said that in Jesus Christ, God took religion from the external man and placed it inside the hearts of men. The last progression that we see after God fills people is that he places himself among a people. And this is the Acts 2 reality of a group of a gathering that has forsaken all other things except to know him and to be a place where he dwells. This is how Ephesians 2 puts it. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. In whom, there it is again, in him, we, both individually and collectively, are being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, there it is again, you, individually, are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the thread line. This is the mission of God. This is the heart of God. This is the plan of God to fill people, to connect people to himself because when we are connected with him, we have life. And when we are not connected to him, we have death. And being connected to the presence of God is our primary pursuit because it is the thing we were made for, because we were made for him. And one encounter, one moment connected, connecting with him will change everything. In the words of Elaine Campbell, it will spoil you for anything else. And see, what happens is when we, when we truly encounter God, all of the worldly counterfeits that seek to distract us from the reality that we're dead are exposed for what they truly are. We need to, we need to come alive. The presence of God, I just wanna talk about the presence of God, okay? The presence of God will transform every part of your life that you allow him to. The presence of God is first and foremost a lover. He will love anyone at any time, at any place. The presence of God will forgive, he will restore, he will heal, he will set free, he will redeem any area of your life that you allow him to. The presence of God is fierce. He is not safe. He will call all people under submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ, but he will not force them. The presence of God I have seen in a moment transform people that are ready to commit suicide filled with anxiety, filled with depression, scared to get out of your bed in the morning, the presence of God. I've watched the presence of God restore sexual purity and innocence. I've seen the presence of God deliver people from self-obsession. I've watched the presence of God restore marriages, bitter and angry men and women, I've watched the presence of God restore families, mothers to sons, fathers to sons, fathers to daughters, mothers to daughters. The presence of God is loving. The presence of God is joyful. He's peaceful. He's patient. He's kind. He's gentle. He's loving. He is long-suffering. The presence of God distributes gifts to those who he dwells in, enabling them to prophesy, enabling them to encourage, to give, to show mercy, to have words of wisdom and words of knowledge and to speak in tongues and to interpret tongues and to administrate and to show hospitality to host his very presence. The presence of God is life itself because his presence is him. And I believe that in this season of our church, there is an invitation to come alive to him in us. Maybe you have been in church your entire life and you don't know this presence. He wants to fill you. He wants to be your everything. Maybe you've had moments or encounters in the presence of God, but you have been unwilling to lay your life down in order to live in those moments. He's inviting us this morning. This is not, I I really hope you guys don't feel like pressed down. I want us to be, I want us to press into this. This is, this is what we were made for. He is looking for people and a people that will yield themselves to him. And I, be, and I just like in my heart, I believe that God is looking not just here, but all over the earth for communities that will bring their junk, that will bring their pain, that will bring their disappointment, that will bring their excuses, that will bring their boredom, that will bring everything that they have before his presence and allow him to inhabit his body again. The eyes of the Lord search through the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Just begin to close your eyes. This has to get personal. At the end of the day, we can come and hear a good word and leave but every last one of us has to go home lay our head on the pillow and deal with the reality of where we are with God and I feel a a beckoning from the Lord and I and he, he gave me some questions to write down and ask and I just want us to meditate on these Would you simplify everything and yield yourself to me again? Would you resolve in your heart that I am the one thing? Would you resolve in your heart that the primary pursuit of life is to stay connected to me? Will you entrust your heart to me again, believing that I will satisfy every longing that it has? Lord, here we are. We know that you're here. We know that you're among us. And we just make ourselves available to you now.